0: Hey everybody, my name is Tom and I'm an alcoholic, and welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. It appears as though there's no human power can relieve our alcoholism, so it looks like we're either going to have a spiritual experience or die
1: trying. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania,
2: and I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia.
1: As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration.
2: We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview.
1: Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: Thanks to Jeff Bain, Frederick, Marilyn, for helping us get these episodes out the door. Truly appreciate it. Hey, Lee, who do we have in the studio today?
2: So today we have Tom H from Jacksonville, Florida. It's May 1st and he's going to be sharing experience strength and hope around today's daily reflection, which is healing heart and mind.
1: Oh fantastic. well Tom, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast.
0: Thanks. It's great to be here and love what you're doing, you know carrying the message in a different medium. It's exciting, it's modern, it's cool and appreciate the opportunity to uh, be invited. I think I'm just going to go ahead and read uh, today's daily reflection starting May 1st. It's entitled Healing Heart and Mind Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. That's from the 12 steps and 12 traditions, page 55. Since it is true that God comes to me through people, I can see that by keeping people at a distance, I also keep God at a distance. God is nearer to me than I think, and I can experience him by loving people and allowing people to love me. But I can neither love nor be loved if I allow my secrets to get in the way. It's the side of myself that I refuse to take a look at that rules me. I must be willing to look at the dark side in order to heal my mind and heart because that is the road to freedom. I must walk in darkness to find the light and walk into fear to find peace. By revealing my secrets and thereby ridding myself of guilt, I can actually change my thinking by altering my thinking. I can change myself. My thoughts create my future. What I will become is determined by what I think today.
2: Mm, Thank you, Tom, for reading that. And before we get started, what is your sobriety date?
0: Uh, March 19th, 1972.
2: What, as you read this, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you?
0: Well, you know I had a mixed reaction to it honestly, Leah um I think it it points to a really important subject in recovery but that that I have a slightly different relationship with the God of my understanding than the author of of this of this text. But the point that it that it's getting to is this, You know, this old AA adage that we're only as sick as our secrets. You know, secrets you don't have to be a recovered alcoholic or an active alcoholic to have secrets and to have, you know, shame and things that you you really don't want made public and things that you don't really want anybody to know. That we don't have the market on that. But what's different is because we are recovering from an ostensibly fatal malady. And because it appears as though there's no human power can relieve our alcoholism. So it looks like we're either gonna have a spiritual experience or die trying. And so secrets are relevant to recovery because the relief from the shame and guilt of secrets is an important part of the recovery process and also because the, the the just the nature of of alcoholism is that we get drunk and we do a bunch of stupid stuff that we didn't want to do if, if we didn't do stupid stuff that we didn't want to do we never would have gone to aa so i mean there's not no you know as they say nobody came to aa on a winning streak and nobody came to aa because everything was going just as planned so, we all come in with this sense of, you know, the, the pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization is that there's this thing and I want to do it and I need to do it. And it's not that hard. It's called moderating my alcohol consumption. And it's really important and I can't do it. And if I tell anybody how completely out of control it is, it's, they're going to lock me up and they probably should
1: yeah I can certainly relate to that you know the feeling that I had when I first came in even before I came in you know was complete insanity I, I just couldn't find the words to explain to to people why i couldn't I couldn't stop doing it. I'm curious about your experience back in 1971 72 what was happening in your life and what was it like before you came into recovery
0: so it's that's a real good question Mike you know uh, i'm I've become I'm an old timer. I've become a little self-conscious about it. So, you know, I tell people that my original copy of the big book was written in hieroglyphics. But here's the deal. What I had that made me want to drink more was a very deep sensation that there was something wrong with me, that like there's something wrong with everybody sure there's you know nobody's perfect I get that but that I was fundamentally flawed in a way that was singular and that singular and incomprehensible and about which I would never be able to explain myself to another human being so there was a desperate and very unpleasant sense of isolation and loneliness and alcohol was a wonderful remedy for that bad feeling, but it had, you know, really serious side effects. So, you know, going back to the reading, you know, the author talks about keeping God at a distance and being closer to God and further away from God. And I, I understand the idea, and Bill Wilson talks about being on the beam sometimes off the beam. And I think it was St. Ignatius of Loyola said, we all go through periods of consolation and desolation in our relationship with the Lord. But, you know, for me to stay sober, I need to have a God that I can't run from, which is to say, I need a God. I need a higher power from which I'm never closer or more distant. God is real. In my So my current spiritual convictions which by the way could change next week but my current spiritual convictions are that God is here God is now God is present and in all things
2: I love that I can be on board with that I feel like God is in all things and all things belong and all things are part of the journey and everything fits there are no mistakes I like what you're saying there. And I can relate to that, that God is in all things and all things belong. I'm curious about early recovery for you. When you first came into the rooms, did you have a concept of a higher power at that time?
0: Definitely.
2: Is your higher power different today than when you first came in?
0: (laughs) Different as night and day.
2: (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about the process of Of like the steps and how that how doing the step work has sort of helped you move through this yeah so
0: you know i i read a guy named marcus borg uh non-aa literature he wrote a book called uh the god we never knew he also wrote a book called meeting jesus again for the first time and my, I, my, my beliefs are kind of eclectic. I, I don't really subscribe to Christianity or any particular faith. I'm, if anything, I, would, I follow more Eastern religions. In the beginning of my recovery, yes, I believed in my God, and I had a very negative relationship with the God of my understanding. I, I think the, the word that most aptly describes my relationship with God was that I hated him. And that is not too strong a word. I was, I just felt I had been done such a bad deal. I was 17 years old. You know, I wound up going to AA because for the obvious reasons that people go to AA, and then AA ruined my drinking. And I just could not imagine life without alcohol. And I felt like, well, here's the deal, God, you got all the power. I'm an alcoholic. You made me an alcoholic. It's the worst damn thing that could have happened to me, and I hate you. So the my relationship with my higher power now, first of all, it's if you'll allow me to use the word, it's much less anthropomorphistic. You know, I don't really my God, the God of my understanding is not a a thing that you could really get angry at. It, it's much more mm-hmm. out. There. It's, it, you know, when people say, Tom, do you believe in God? I, I say, yes, but if you want me to explain that, you, you, I need at least 20 minutes. It's just not a yes or no answer for me. I pray, and my relationship with God today, I would say it is wonderful. But that's, let me just say that my relationship with me today is wonderful. I happen to be this day, this week, in a pretty good place I'm happy. I mean, you know, I had a procedure done. The results came back favorably. I'm, you know, close to retirement. So I'm enjoying the benefits of 49 years of continuous sobriety. So, and my relationship with God is much, much different. I would like to say this. I, I recently, I don't know if it's the third step prayer or the seven step prayer. I think it's a seven step prayer where it says, God remove from me every character, Every defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to others. And I started to think, huh? Suppose I prayed that and it had it's already happened. Suppose that prayer came true. Well, what would the implications of that be? That would be that God has removed the character defects that he thought stood in the way of my usefulness to others. So that but let me tell you, he didn't take them all. I got Dozens to choose from. Okay. So, what does that mean? That would mean that God uses us, God is using me as I am, not as I think I should be. God is using me with my character defects, not in spite of my character defects. That I am the version of Tom Hilton that God wants to put into place when he puts me into place here and now. So, that's so it answers this dilemma of if there's a god why do i have such terrible sobriety <laughs> you know <laughs> and maybe i don't you know maybe my idea of good sobriety maybe it's my idea of good sobriety that needs an adjustment maybe sobriety isn't freedom from character defects it's having a sense of humor about character defects and accepting the fact that it is our sorrow and our pain and our struggle that connects us I mean, when you walk in the grocery store and you see another alcoholic and there there's this different connection to that person that you might be, don't even know that well, but you've seen them at an AA meeting, you kind of wave at them and see if they have any alcohol in their shopping basket, you know, but there's, there's a connection. And the connection isn't, hey, we're cool. We don't drink. You know, we're superior. No, it's like, what? There's another loser just like me. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so, you know, so, so it also is like, it answers this question of, can God be distant? God can. God can be present when I'm really acting out on one of my character defects. I don't like it. This is no apology for the status quo. This is not me saying I'm good enough. Not at all. Character defects hurt. And I would love to think that I'm, you know, making progress. And I am making progress. I am making progress. That's a wonderful thing about, you know, my, my, my recovery is that every year I feel like, wow, you really made progress in that area, Tom. And that's, that's kind of kept the whole thing kind of real. And I think it's why I didn't bail out.
1: I'm curious about when you started to, to become aware of those defects that you have, what, what part of the the process of recovery started to shine that light on, on you?
0: You know, that's such a great question, Mike. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a story that needs to be told, you know, the job of the sponsor in early recovery is to gently say to the newcomer, things are really much worse than you thought they were. And by the way, it's because of who you are. And, you know, and that is not an easy message. You came to AA because you thought it could get no worse. It's actually worse than you thought it was. And, and, and it's not about other people. It's about you. And so that was top of my resentment list was God and my sponsor. Okay. And my, because my sponsor was trying to do what a good sponsor does, which is say, unless you change Tom, you're not going to enjoy peace of mind. And I would say, so you're saying it's all my fault, Harry, you just blaming me. No, that's not what I'm saying. And so that's, That was early in step four, Denver, Colorado. You know, my first year of sobriety is when I started to just begin to say, huh, so there's these 12 steps and one of them is step four. And that's the part where we kind of like, look at all this crap. But there was, it was a season of healing and relief. It was the beginning of the relief from loneliness. I would say, True relief from loneliness, I hate to say it to the newcomer, but loneliness really dogged me for a couple of years in early recovery. I felt so bereft and isolated and alone. I felt like I didn't belong in AA and I didn't want to belong in AA. And it wasn't really until I was sober, about two and a half years, that I started to just begin to feel a sense of belonging.
2: Something you said, Tom, you said, I, I looked back and said, Oh, I made pretty good progress this year. And I'm curious, after this many years of sobriety, do you do a self assessment every so often and decide things that you want to work on?
0: Uh, the answer, Lee, it's a great question. And, and I think it's so relevant for this podcast. And the answer is yes and yes. So the 10th step, you know, uh, I think it's in the I think it's actually in the 12 and 12. It talks about four parts of the 10 step. First of all, it talks about the spot check inventory, like where you're cussing somebody out and you say, I wonder if I'm off the beam. And then there's the end of the day deal. And then there's the periodic meeting with the sponsor. And then there's the periodic annual spiritual retreat on the spot. End of the day dinner you know coffee with sponsor every sunday morning or every saturday or something and then every two years five day silent silent retreat or an AA retreat or something so it's a nice formula and i think i can honestly say i do all four certainly you know if you go to enough meetings and you know you're you're angry you kind of sooner or later you know like well i'm angry now but (laughs) i'll be making amends before sundown (laughs) and then You know, and then I call my sponsor, I still have a sponsor that's, you know, I'm not like the AA poster boy, you know, there's a lot of things I've, I've done, not recommended, but I go to, I, I never stopped going to AA and I always had a sponsor. And I talked to my sponsor and, you know, what happens, as you know, both of you probably know when you when you're sober a couple of years, somewhere around five or 10 years, you're, you're, you're very likely to have a sponsor that has fewer years of sobriety. And it becomes kind of a a dialogue. Periodically, I have to say, listen, I really need you to be my sponsor. In other words, I want you to hold me accountable on this particular subject. I'll go through an event. Like recently, I uh, I had a romance that ended, and so I had a, I took out the pen and paper and wrote about two pages of fears and and perhaps you know unskillful behaviors. I, li- I like the Buddhist term unskillful behaviors because there's a complete absence of moral judgment. It's just like, you know, it's like Dr. Phil. So that part where you got pissed off and walked out of the restaurant, how'd that work for you, Tom? <laughs> you know, that, well, that was an unskillful behavior. So yeah, I, I like to do a retreat that the darn pandemic has kind of interfered with that. But as soon as I like to do a, like three or four days, Probably, if I'm honest with myself, every five years. The last one I went on was about two years ago, a seven-day silent retreat. I love that stuff.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. I haven't done a silent retreat, but it's its definitely something that's pulling. I want to be aware that we've got folks that are listening maybe in the early stages of recovery, maybe even not even in recovery yet. And I'm curious what you might say with your many years of, of experience in recovery. What might you tell the newcomer?
0: You know, Mike, that's not a hard question for me to answer. I, I want to be delicate here. I've recently had a family member. Let's just, I'll, I'll leave it sufficiently general. I recently had a family member who had a very serious consequence that was, you know, unequivocally and, and directly related to uh, alcoholism. And that person is now in early recovery and has been going to meetings for less than a month you know and i in a kind of a codependent way you know i'm thinking what do i really want that person to hear at a meeting you know if if i could be a if i could like sneak in there and put something in the speaker's ear and say say this because i want my family member to hear this important thing what would that thing be right now in the pandemic is you gotta have a human connection i would say the first step as you know is written uh, came to believe we were powerless over alcohol. Our lives had become unmanageable. But my sponsor told me that the first step was really shut up and get in the car. So, and the the point being that sobriety and recovery starts with a human connection. And if I had to say anything to the newcomer, I would say, get a sponsor. And make sure your sponsor has a sponsor. And make sure your sponsors is working the steps. And if, if after two or three months with your sponsor, they're not sitting down and saying, look, here's how we're going to go through the steps, then you might want to think about a different sponsor. The program is really, it's the fellowship, and a lot of people just stay sober on the fellowship. But I, Tom Hilton, could not have stayed sober 49 years on the fellowship. I had too, much, too many issues, too much stuff, just hanging around. And also, I didn't like the fellowship. So the 12 steps were really, you know, the transformative experience that led me to say, you know, I can work these steps and become self-actualized and be the person that I want to be. But to say that to a person who's sober three days, Forget about it. They have no idea what you're talking about. They just know that they better go to some AA meetings or they're not getting their wife or their job or their license back. And that's why we go. So, get a sponsor. If you want to work the steps, it's it's a tutorial. It's not a class. It's not, you know, AA 101 with 500 kids and a speaker in front of the room. It is a one-on-one tutorial.
2: That is great advice. It is interesting how we come in wanting to get the spouse, the car, the the job back, and we end up finding the riches within beyond any ability to really comprehend. And it's just an ever unfolding thing that never gets old, never gets old. And apparently it doesn't for you because you've been here for a long time and you still keep coming back. So that's encouraging anyway.
0: I'd like to interrupt there and say, yes, it, it doesn't get old. And, and what I find is that if you stay sober long enough, what, what happens to most of us after, you know, a couple of years and then maybe a decade or two is that our, our basic needs are being met. And we have found that we can find peace of mind if we are right in our spiritual life. And so our need for, you know, money and prestige and stuff, they they really go down a lot. And when that happens, the f- we become free to be of service. So it's like, OK, so I, ha- I don't really need a lot of money to be happy. Well, that, you know, that kind of lightens up my agenda substantially. And so volunteerism and the pursuit of social justice could, is what what drives you know continued recovery and and i think that's where a lot of us get that's where you two guys are it's like you know there's you you you're, you're like on your Maslow's hierarchy of needs your need now is to spread the word that is limitless i mean what do you what do you want to be when you grow up i want to spread the word of, of, of the potential for a wonderful life and recovery well, we've got a market for you. It's called the planet. <laughs> and not. And if you don't mind the fact that you're not getting paid, we have lots and lots of customers. So life gets really big.
1: It sure does. Fantastic. Tom, I want to thank you for spending time with us. This has been a phenomenal conversation.
0: Thanks for asking me. It's, I really, really love what you're doing. Just great, great work. So, so happy that you're doing this work and and I want to thank you. Thank you for carrying the message. Thanks for the work you're doing. And thank you for letting me be a tiny piece of it.
1: Oh, well, thanks for your service. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for stepping up.
2: Great.
1: Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.